if you're selling something where somebody's going to come back for a second purchase from you, then setting up a loyalty program by itself is a reason to have a Shopify website. We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Today's sponsor is Eva, the most intelligent Amazon scaling toolkit online. Amazon sellers need exact, quick-to-read profit reports. Many sellers already pay a lot of money for these. Eva has world-class finance analytics with crystal-clear graphs included at no extra cost. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers, averaging a 51% increase in profits. To get a 15-day free trial, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Hey folks, welcome back to the e-commerce leader podcast. And today we are in the middle of discussing aligning your pricing strategy and your business goals. Pricing strategy turns out to be surprisingly powerful and important thing compared to the weight most of us give it. We spend a lot more time thinking about the sort of photographs that we're going to use for the main product image, for example, in an Amazon listing or on a Shopify site than in most cases anyway, than we do about pricing. And all we just research the competition and copy their pricing, right? And that's potentially great and potentially terrible, but it's certainly not a thought through strategic approach. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Specifically, we're going to talk about how to get your first thousand dollars in monthly sales. And if you're already an established e-commerce operator, then don't start rolling your eyes and thinking this is irrelevant. Because of course, if you're launching a new product line and trying to get your first thousand dollars in monthly sales on the new product line, guess what? This stuff is all relevant and you have to think about pricing. And that's what we're discussing today. So stay tuned. Think about what you're listening to and how it can apply to your business and enjoy the show yeah i like it a lot i like the idea of showing you kind of confidence slash integrity around the pricing i think that is actually more important than people think and yeah giving discrete pricing is that's got to be the way to go and the thing is it feels logical as a consumer right it makes sense to me that if i buy more from you or that i commit to you rather than your competition that i get a bit of a discount it doesn't feel weird probably about this average order value piece so i've got had a client the other day he was talking in the mastermind he's got a direct consumer site um, he's getting about $20 cost of acquiring customers. So he's actually selling, I think it's, he's done a nice on branding. He's actually getting about a 3% conversion rate, which for me off, I think Google shopping ads, it's pretty good. In fact, I said, look, I don't know if that's necessarily the problem. So I did quote you and say that, what would mm-hmm. Jason say? I, I think it's the lifetime consumer, sorry, the lifetime customer value that you need to work on and the AOV, but he hasn't got much of a catalog and I could kind of hear him not taking this on board and going yeah yeah but i just need to sell more stuff more cheaply thinking like an amazon seller in other words so yeah how do we deal with that if we don't have much of a catalog of products yet yeah would you pop somebody else's products in there as an affiliate link or how would you try and increase that i wouldn't do that that's more complicated than it might be worth Mm -hmm. would do that as a second or third idea the first idea would be how do you get your your existing product into a few different modalities for a customer. And what do I mean by that? Russell Brunson is proven and he talks a lot about on ClickFunnels, the number one upsell is a two pack. Is Hey, you want to buy this thing? Yes, I do. 
Hey, do you want to buy two of them? Oh, sure. But that's a really easy upsell. That's not, there's no two products there. It's just one product. You're just, bun- it's a bundling strategy. And you want to think through those types of upsell opportunities. The the other thing that comes to my mind, as you mentioned, that client is we've worked with clients before who, um, who are just getting their Shopify site going. And they're in this discovery phase of who, how can they get traffic and how much does it cost? And one of the things that we saw as a real breakthrough, as a really powerful breakthrough with one of our clients was he thought he was going to sell direct to consumer on his Shopify site. And he was spending too much money trying to make that a reality. But then he started having restaurants buy from him. And what he realized was it could be a B2B Shopify experience and really focus on not direct to consumer, but direct to business owners who will buy in pallets, not in ones. And so literally that's what our client did. He started selling pallet loads of product, not one item at a time. And trust me, that changes the average order value like in totality. It was like, it's a whole different business because you realize, oh, there's somebody who wants 150 of these at one time, one transaction, yes. And so those types of strategies are way more valuable to think through. Now, that in that case, that wasn't a pricing strategy, although if you work with a B2B customer, they, they might expect an escalation where the more they buy, the more they save types. But that's some of the thing you wanna think through when you're starting a new website and it relates to pricing. Because again, just lowering your price is not the, and selling more, making it up on volume. That's like the kindergarten version of this stuff. It is not a good idea. Yeah. And I guess the difference between that and the kind of common response is that you're, if you sell a pallet load as opposed to ones or twos, then obviously there's an extremely solid reason for a discount while still mm-hmm. making good profits. Yeah. yeah. That makes a huge amount of sense. Yeah. And tell me a bit more about the discrete pricing angle. I, I was saying before, it feels to me like that links the sort of integrity mm-hmm. of pricing because it, it makes sense to me psychologically. But tell me what the other sort of implications and upsides are of that one. Yeah, there's so much value there. And just like if somebody said to me, hey, what's the value proposition for setting up a Shopify site? I would say if you have any type of customer who's going to buy an item from you more than one time, if it's a one time, like you're selling caskets to somebody, then it's a final closeout deal to use a bad on there. But but if you're selling something where somebody's going to come back for a second purchase from you, then setting up a loyalty program by itself is a reason to have a Shopify website. It just it just is a it's a service to the to the customer. And so I, I would say that's a huge value proposition. We use S loyalty as the app to empower our loyalty program. And uh, and then the exercise there really is pretty straightforward. Get new people to your site, convert them to loyalty members. And uh, there's whole systems and strategies and process for that. And then in the loyalty programming, you basically give them the opportunity to earn their own discounts by their shopping behavior. And every the thing about it, every customer knows this. Customers love this. There's a reason Starbucks does this. The, Starbucks did not get protests out in front of their headquarters when they kicked this off. They, it, like People don't object to loyalty pricing and VIP custom pricing. So Starbucks has pioneered this and it works. Amazon Prime, obviously, you could have your own Prime Day if you have your own loyalty program. That's what I, my reflection on Prime Day that just happened recently was I said to Cinnamon, we need to have our own Prime Day set of deals for our loyalty program members on our website. 
And we've never done that. We offer them strategic coupons. Hey, spend spend X amount and you get this kind of discount coupon. We've never gone out in 12 years of doing business and said, hey, we've got 42 special deals just for our loyalty program members. Like, why haven't I ever done that before? But anyway, so those types of strategies are all in play when, when you have a Shopify site and sell direct to consumer and they're all pricing related ideas and concepts, you know. Nice. I guess what you're saying is you're using special pricing as a reward for the behavior that will make you money, but also as a reward in the consumer, which is why it's a win-win, which is why they're yeah. not getting peeved at you. Whereas yeah. I would say Amazon Prime Day, the experience I've had with Amazon Prime Day personally, but more with my clients and friends is that every year the response to Prime Day is more and more muted. I pretty much mm-hmm. nobody discusses That's it right. anymore. Are That's you right. doing anything for Prime Day? No. And the reason why is because they've discovered you can give a lot of discounts and you make a heck of a lot more sales, but you make less money than if you've yeah. done no discounts in the first place <laughs> talking so, of profit versus revenue it, it really is that that simple these days really yeah i totally agree but so here's the thing because once you ring the dinner bell 42 times in a row it's like how many times <laughs> do we want to do this before it gets old so i think prime day yeah. may have run its course but there is a whole different tactic that i love to work with people on and we have worked on with coaching clients and that's a vip program and costco is the quintessential example of this. Customers will pay you cash money up front for a discount. Now, just think through that for a minute. Okay, wait, I need to lower my prices. No, you don't. Why don't you ask people to pay you money before you lower the price? Like, wait, that would work. That's what Costco does. That's, you know, and Sam's Club. And, and, uh, you know, Jim Senegal, the guy who really scaled that concept was the founder of Costco. And I tell this example in every other podcast. So apologize if you've heard it a million times, but I listened to him in a lecture one time at Northwest University up in the Seattle area when, where he's close by there, their headquarters. And somebody asked him why he doesn't sell a 50 count bottle of aspirin. And he said, because customers would buy it. And his, that's a pricing strategy comment. And what did he mean by that? He meant he sells 500 count bottles for a lot more money. And that's the only thing he offers. But on top of that, people have paid him money to walk through the front door. So he's playing it like he's playing it like hyper chess level. And most people are playing at checkers. So he's gotten paid for people to come buy his overly priced, expensive, technically compared to a 50 count bottle, big, huge bottle. So you get the idea. But a VIP program, every Shopify store owner can do a VIP program model. It could be a whole course. It could be a whole big ticket training and all that. We do this with our coaching clients where we walk them through how to get a VIP program established. People pay you monthly or annually for the right to buy your items or get them at a discount. And so that's a a little bit of what goes into this whole idea of loyalty and discreet selling of your items rather than just having it bam on your homepage of your Shopify site for $10 instead of $20. You just, you can't do it that naively or simply. Yeah. I love this. This is, I love the passion you've got about this. And also what strikes me is you're articulating almost a business model. Uh, At least it's very powerful for your cash flow and profitability, Mm -hmm. but it's very much a pricing strategy, isn't it? Because ultimately Mm you're, it's price and consumer behavior and how you reward behavior rather than you being constantly the person to move first and lower your price you're saying if you want lower prices come over here and you can have it but you got to pay me first mm-hmm. kind of genius i have to say well um, people do it too which is the yeah. crazy part is it's like sometimes in life you just got to go with the flow and you don't have to beat your head against the wall and try to make people do something they don't want to do 
People like loyalty programs. People like VIP programs. And yeah. so if they want, if the customers like it, do it. If it's beneficial yeah. to you, why wouldn't you? Yeah. I think also the psychology that I love about this is that you're really creating something a bit exclusive and something can only be exclusive mm -hmm. if there is clearly and consistently a difference between what you get behind the velvet curtain and what everyone else gets. Either That's you don't right. get to enter the store Costco style or you get your widgets for $20 as opposed to $15 plus some extra thing. And yeah. uh, I really like the psychology of that because that appeals pretty universally, actually. It's a sort of them and us. It's a bit like business class on a plane. It's the same flipping plane, isn't it? It's not really yeah. that much different, but they charge yeah. 10 times as much. I'm sure that's where the only profit in any airline, if it is at any point profitable, most airlines aren't. I'm sure that's where their profits come from. It's right. that exclusivity. Yeah, I love that. And it's a pricing strategy then. Is it, and a little bit of the, there's a whole bunch of elements to first class in an airplane, but, but in general, you're right. It starts with justifying the high price. Yeah. You're sitting in a, a, cardi, a, a sort of aluminium sardine can with everyone else, right? Yeah. It always absolutely blows my mind how much the airlines get for first Although class. Although those, you know. those Emirates first class seats, man, they if you have been on a big international flight on the Emirates lately, those things are like an amazing, you get your own cocoon of awesomeness. Anyway, all right, that's <laughs> off topic. But let's keep going. You want to do another one? Do we have time to do Yeah, I've around? not been on Emirates. I obviously <laughs> do lots of cheap little hops around Europe. I've not done the Emirates thing yet, but maybe one day. Yeah, let's talk about that. What interests me the most with the people that I work with these days is trying to take, we could talk survival, but that's a bit depressing. Let's talk about taking market share off bigger competitors because that's hmm. really what the big, the feisty competitors out there really want to do. I've just been listening to Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. Hmm. Absolutely riveting. I've been really looking forward to listening to it while, I'm, while I've been out running, ironically enough. And he was obsessed with taking market share off Adidas or Adidas, however you say it. Uh, that mirrors some of the e-commerce operators I know. They're very conscious of competing. So how yeah. do we actually do that with pricing? I think that's a whole different part. I think that's a big podcast conversation. Okay. What if we do? What? If, okay, I'll counter your proposal. What if we do uh, getting your first thousand dollars in sales? Okay. Uh, yeah. Is that okay? Let's tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. that that's pretty common as well. well I think it, cause it serves, it serves entry new sellers, entry uh, entrance into the market. Pretty good. So let's do that one. Let's do that one. Okay. So let's pretend you that what you want to make your first thousand dollars a month in sales and you're launching yourself on a marketplace. Maybe it's Etsy, maybe it's eBay, maybe it's Amazon, maybe who, who knows, maybe it's Craigslist, whatever it might be. Let me mention two or three strategies. So the first thing that you want to do when you're a new entrant into a marketplace is first of all, you realize you don't know what's out there. You, the, there's so many things you don't know. You don't know who's out there com competition wise. You don't know what the customer will pay. You don't know if there's a low cost leader that has a strategic advantage that you don't understand. Like, Maybe they own the, you know, whatever it is. They own the gold mine or they own the oil or they own the, their father-in-law owns the entire forest of teak wood in the Amazon. And you didn't know that. And you don't have that strategic advantage. There's something you don't know there about the low price person. Maybe there's something you don't know about the, uh, the prestige pricers either. Or maybe you don't even know. Hey, I don't even know if there's a prestige pricer in this market. So there's so many things you don't know when you're going into a new market with a new product. I would always suggest people enter that market with me to pricing. So we've already talked about the, the three kind of pricing strata. So me too pricing is that middle safe, just similar to everyone else. If you do that, if you do me too pricing, you know that you're operating in a zone of 
plausible profit, <laughs> similar to the other operators that are in business. They haven't gone bankrupt, and but they're not doing anything special per se, and you too can join them. Now, what do you do in that space then? You've got to figure out in that space how to differentiate yourself on something other than price. And so the first step is to differentiate yourself on something other than price. And what could that be? Maybe it's speed. Maybe it's beauty of the packaging. Maybe it's there's some kind of how-to educational content bonus. Maybe there's some different structure of the product itself that makes it more valuable. There's a whole list of things you could geek out over about how to differentiate yourself. And then once you find that point of differentiation, okay, no one is doing this for in this way with this color palette for this certain type of customer. You find your point of differentiation, you really have to hammer that home and lean into that in everything you do. Copywriting, the brand concept, the, the presentation, the videos, the social media handles, everything you do, you have to lean into that advantage or differentiation. And so that's step two. Step three then would be to begin to explore either the penetration pricing or the prestige pricing tactics and strategies, because you'll know more. You'll get to that point where you say, okay, I'm, I'm getting to the thousand dollars a month in sales and you achieve that milestone. You'll start to see who else is in the competitive space. And you'll really start to understand, is there a prestige pricer in this space? And I'll just say that all things being equal, if you enter some niche and there's so many out there, this is a true situation. You could enter a niche and there's no prestige pricer. And if you enter a niche and there's no prestige pricer, you have a massive opportunity to be the prestige pricer. Now, will a customer allow for there to be a prestige pricer? Maybe not. Maybe it's a commodity and no one's going to pay you a penny more than what they could see everywhere else. Maybe they just don't care. Maybe there's no brand prestige objectification of the item to in the mind of the consumer to the degree to which they'll pay for it to be nicer than anyone else's, but maybe there is, and you just don't know it. So these are the things you have to learn. So anyway, so I, as I would approach a first entry into the market, this is what I would do. And we did this when we started on eBay in 2007, the first thing we did was we did a thousand dollars a month and we didn't do anything special. We, we, in fact, we listed our auctions back then for a starting price of one penny and we let there be no no presale amount, no, no minimum amount that the item would sell for. And we let the market dictate the price. And so anyway, so this is how I would approach it. And I think that gives you a lot of optionality and it lets you learn, which is the most important thing as you're beginning to sell a new product for a new price. So hopefully that helps a little. Yeah, very interesting. A couple of reflections. First of all, the last thing first, I think the fact that you sold on eBay, which is an auction, is a more brutal analysis of what the market really values any individual item at. And so that's something that's harder to emulate because I guess you are making dolls one at a time, right? Handmade. Whereas the typical Amazon private label seller has the opposite problem where they have to import at least a thousand from China. And then they're sitting there and to the person with the hammer, everything looks like a nail. To the person with the product times a thousand in your garage or in an Amazon warehouse, everything looks like you better get rid of it right away. Yes, to, but to, can I just yeah, give you on. one pricing tactic for that um, example? And this, okay, so everybody should just go get Pricing Power ebook and read the whole thing. Because what I'll tell you is not about this topic for today, but it's in the Pricing Power book. If you have a thousand items that you've imported, what you can powerfully do is pre-sell those and do a Dutch auction 
which is everyone collectively gets to help you set the price and you sell on the fact that you only have a thousand. You use scarcity as a technique for selling those items. If you just dump them on Amazon and you don't tell people how many you have and there's no sense of urgency, you know, it's just like another commodity. Oh, how many do you have? Well, as many as are needed, but you really only have a thousand. Then you gotta use these tools of what you've got. You've gotta use in your pricing strategy, I guess is my commentary there. So a Dutch auction on eBay actually for many items, no one does that. Literally, no one that I know of does the Dutch auction strategy style where you say, hey, I've got a 500 of these and you all get to you know, choose to buy one, but it ramps up cost-wise. But in the current market conditions where containers are taking six months to get and many items are sold out, man, that would be an interesting thing for people to play around with if you've got a limited supply of something. So anyway, sorry to interject that, but it's a whole different whole different conversation. Oh, I love that because it does reflect reality. Tell me about the Dutch auction. How would that work on eBay? Because I've never sold on eBay, really. I mean, I've used Joe mm-hmm. Lister to take products from Amazon, but it didn't work very well. So yeah. So consider me we, an eBay rank newbie. How does that work? Yeah, so you get a couple different auction strategy styles. And the one in eBay that almost everyone uses is called a Vickery auction. But there's other auction styles that are just really not popular. <laughs> but so go research this on your own because I'm not an expert at Dutch auction. But Vickery auction is the standard one everyone uses, which is here's an item, start bidding. Like, and that's Vickery auction. So like I bid ten dollars, well, I bid eleven, I bid twelve, I bid thirteen, and you end up in a Vickery auction, which is a standard style with let's say uh, let's say five people bidding, and uh, my camera just freaked out. Sorry, five people bidding. And one person's going to win the item. That's one item being auctioned. What if you've got 10 of the items or 100 of the items? Then you can do a different format. And the format is more like people raise their hands and they say what they're willing to pay for. This is more, this is some of the detail of the Dutch auction, but go research this because I'm again thinking through this on, on my feet. But in general, the way you do it is you say, I've got, let's say, 100 of these items. And, uh, and I don't know what they're worth and neither do you guys because, man, it took me six months to import them and prices have radically changed since I tried to get them and no one else has them. And uh, let's just put them out there and you guys tell me what you're willing to pay and the best hundred bidders are going to get one of these items. And so then what happens is people start setting a floor. I'm willing to pay $10 and so are 99 other people. The floor just became $10. Then a hundred and first person who comes in is, dang it, I, if I want one of these, I got to pay $10 I, or more. So I'm going to bid $11. And what happens is it escalates the entire cohort of prospective buyers. And if you run those properly, you'll end up having a market clearing price that everyone collectively has agreed to. And as the seller, you get to say to yourself, I didn't set the price. I'm not price gouging. I had a hundred. I put it on eBay. Uh, Collectively, a hundred people told me that they were all willing to pay $82.50. And that's awesome. So that's more of the Dutch, I believe. Now go fact check me on all that. But yeah, that, that is a whole different way to construct a pricing strategy, which This gets back to our eBay work originally in 2007. And I love this stuff because what I could say in eBay when I set my price to a penny, but my item went for $500 and people would get mad. Like, how could, how could you sell that for $500? That's so unfair. I'm like, I didn't set the price. I set the price for a penny. I didn't know what the price was. This is more like how you sell art 
or how you sell a scarce commodity. And you get to say to the the community, I'm just selling it for what the market says it's worth. And Uh you cede control of the pricing strategy (laughs) to the community. There's a huge power in that because you can say, I'm being, I'm operating with integrity. I'm not trying to gouge anybody. I'm just trying to move my item and or my hundred items in a fair way. Now, all of that requires you to be a marketer and to have an audience and to explain what you're doing to your audience. But, you know, these marketplaces, especially eBay, if I had a couple billion dollars or like whatever it would be, like a hundred billion, I'd buy eBay and revamp the whole thing and I would get rid of buy it now pricing stuff, items, and I would only use it as an auction platform and really nerd out with everybody. I think there's so much power in in the eBay auction model that's yeah. never been tapped into. But anyway, the, sorry, we're on a, I'm on a rant. No, this is, do not apologize. This is fascinating. <laughs> we're not going to come up with a neat solution, but I love this idea of getting the market to set the pricing. And my only reflection from a much more primitive point of view, and by the way, my response on that, 100% agree. I've never understood why eBay has become a kind of rubbish version of Amazon yeah. instead of being what it is. I think it's, as yeah. um, a positioning error for eBay, a massive error, although they've never got on the phone to me yet to ask my opinion. So maybe <laughs> they know a thing or two about it. Already, <laughs> maybe right? they do. I don't know. Maybe they do. But anyway, <laughs> having never sold on eBay, I have zero right to say anything. But what I would say is this, and knowing Amazon pretty well from the seller side, there's the talking about the market setting pricing. Another way of putting it is that I think, I think the market always sets a price mm-hmm. by its behavior. And I think you've got to yeah. accept the initial verdict. And then you've got three main options that I've seen. The first one is you can work super hard on the listing to really articulate the differentiation points of the product. And a lot of people mm-hmm. don't do that. If they're good at creating products and operations, they're often not amazing at marketing, in which mm-hmm. case hire somebody who's good or get good at it. And we've seen a lot of moments in the mastermind really improve their marketing chops. And, and you can get very unsubtle differences on Amazon very quickly because they've got a lot of traffic. We've even seen somebody who's pretty good at marketing and we just ripped the listing apart and they went from a 30% conversion rate to 40% the next month. It was very neat. And we all felt good about that. But That's the first thing. The second thing is if it isn't different though, you are gonna have to develop the product or the packaging and that's expensive. And that's why the third option may simply be accept the market has spoken and accept Mm. that this is how much of the product you're gonna sell at this price. And if it's still profitable, but not exciting, keep selling it, but don't put a ton of extra money and time into something that has not got much potential. And that's often the wisest course. Or sometimes the fourth option is accept the market spoken, it's never gonna sell at a profit unless you do crazy things to it. And that money and effort would be better spent elsewhere and just stop selling it, which is brutal. But honestly, the most grown up people in the mastermind, the most relaxed people in the mastermind are cutting products left, right and center. And like the the, the most relaxed person has got the biggest revenue there. And they've been working with a business coach and they've just basically advised them to cut a lot of their product lines. And they've cut a lot of their product lines and they're looking relaxed. They've cut a lot of staff, so they've cut overhead. And I've never seen an e-commerce seller look happier about life, despite being in a slowdown. Sales are much lower than they were 12 months ago. And that's because they've cut the dead wood. So there you go. I think all of which is to say, to your point of the market dictating price, I think the market doesn't necessarily dictate price unless you let them. But the relationship between price and sales velocity is set by the market, I believe, just all the time. And that's what people try to control. And that's like trying to being sits with a boulder pushing it uphill or kinking you in the sea or whoever you like. You just can't control these things. It's really two layers of the operational strategy there. One layer is the product itself, the right thing to be 
proposing. And it's interesting because we've worked with clients who have a killer product. And then they're like, what's the next thing for you guys? Launch another thing. And they launch the second thing and it's a total dud. But they spend all their profit and energy and time neglecting from the, the, they take the good thing and almost treat it like it's just a given. And then they pour all of the time, money and energy into the bad thing. It's so weird how business <laughs> owners think. I know we've done the same thing. It's I've got something amazing here. What are you focused on? Not that. <laughs> it's like, what are you focused on? Something that's not working at all. It's like, why are you doing that? Because I really want this other thing to work too. Because then I'd have two things that work. I was like, yeah, that's not really going to happen, is it? No, it's not happening at all. And it's so funny. We have we get coaching gigs like that. Like, why do you want to work with us as your coach? Well, I got something that's really not working. Why don't you just stop it? No, I, <laughs> yeah. I want to pay you $2,000 a month to help me make it work. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. I get people approach me all the time with, I got one client, fortunately, was open to the fact that he said he approached me, he's doing dropshipping. It's a completely different business model on a yeah. Shopify site. Really good. First, in the first year of selling, really successful revenue, profit, it's scaling. He's got good operations in place. And he approached me to say, I want to private level and import stuff from China. And I want to talk to you because I know you've done that and you know how to do that. And the first thing I said is, please don't do that. Not in the current. Don't do that now. Five, 10 years ago or seven years ago when I got into it, eight years. Yes, that would have been a smart play. Right now, no, don't do that. And he's not even doing private labeling. Um, did he listen anymore. to you or did he go find He did. Yeah, I said him. to him, the biggest challenge for you, you have products that are made of yeah. steel. You're in a famous area for steel making of the UK my challenge to you is go and find somebody literally 10 miles down the road and that's exactly what he did to be fair he did exactly yeah, what i yeah. suggested and the economics of it were better and the supply chains are better but in the end he's doubling down on what's working thank goodness the drop shipping because it's yeah. working and to your point doubling down on what works is this one reason this mastermind member looked so relaxed the other day they are actually having the courage to with the help of a really good mentor who's very experienced on eight nine figures in whatever in in retail of his time and they've had the courage to cut the dead wood. And as a yeah. result, the business is not under the pressure of yeah. trying to push that boulder uphill. And to your point, sunk cost is such a huge thing. We all get it. And I don't think you can really solve it for yourself because you can't see, you yeah. can't look outside your skull and see yourself from the outside. It's just not possible. Yeah. I think that you just have to have somebody look at it and you have to trust their answers enough to do it. I think those are the two things that strike me. Yeah, out. it's so right. And many times as business operators, we do this where we see a, a shiny object in an adjacent area and we think, man, we too want to be in that space, whatever it is. And we, and we somehow neglect the one thing that's working in exchange for the thing that's not working that we're trying to make work. And it's so interesting that we do that. And the wiser path sometimes is to say, nope, I'm not going to be tempted. I'm not going to, I'm just going to double my sales or my profit on that one thing that is working. I'm going to figure out how to make a four pack, how to make a hundred pallet sized version for the B2B people. I'm going to figure out yeah. how to get it into Home Depot. I'm going to figure out how to get it into Ace Hardware or into restaurants or whatever. Those are the harder things to do with a product that's really working. And so that's a different whole, this is a whole different podcast than what we started with. But I think there's a, so much nuance here about business decision-making that I think is really a challenge. And all of us face these struggles together. It's, there's, it's common to all of us as e-commerce e operators. It is. All I would say is, although we have ended up going down a bit of a rabbit hole, but I would say it all does relate back to pricing. One of the mm -hmm. things this person I'm talking about, the mastermind does, is that they are very 
keen whenever they can to raise prices. They're always trying to raise prices, but they test mm -hmm. them. And if they result in terrible sales velocity, then they'll bring them back down. But I think the acid test of a product is, can you, have you got pricing power to use your yeah. phrase that you use right. all the time? And indeed the title of your book, if you don't, then it's not that great a product, which doesn't mean you should stop selling it, but you certainly shouldn't be spending all your time and efforts on that single product unless your overall branding needs work. But my experience is, the market speaks, it's normally giving you a pretty major hint. You can probably squeeze a bit of extra profit out and you should by redoing the packaging. That's a fairly cheap and relatively straightforward thing to do without yeah. screwing up the product and getting quality control issues and so forth. And you definitely should maximize the listing to, yeah. to sell. That's something you should do, but that isn't going to save your product from being bad to good. It will get a good to really good or a moderate yeah. to moderately good. And that's all in my experience you can do. And that's it's just well, like the, accepting reality is hard, I think. The, the accepting reality is hard for entrepreneurs because we get where we're at by not accepting reality. It's good like, point. I yeah. got a good product and a business because I said I'm going to impose my will on the world. And I got to a point where it worked. And so, the but the temptation for the entrepreneur is to say, yes, I did that once. And now I can impose my will on the marketplace with another product. And many times that's just not true. And I, I spent a long time, 10 years between first hearing about e-commerce selling to selling online. And I thought for 10 years about different products and you can talk yourself into something being a reality when it's not a reality. And I think to your point is in this comment is you have to test a thesis like, okay, can I launch this product and can I sell? And if the answer after a certain amount of time is, this is not working, then finding a new ad agency, finding a new business coach, finding a new sales channel. Maybe you do all of those things one time. And then you say, okay, if two SEO companies couldn't make this happen and two Facebook ad companies couldn't make it happen and two business coaches couldn't help me sort this out, I'm done. This product is a dud and I'm moving on to the next thing. And I think that's probably some of the decision-making. Playing with pricing can be part of it. And maybe you find your breakthrough, but maybe you don't and you got to cut cut your losses and move on, you know. One final thought on that. I think sometimes I've got a couple of members in the Mars Money who've produced incredible products and their product development process was textbook, was really amazing. And I know people who've done that and making a fortune, really great profits. And other people who are doing that and they're selling well, but there is a cap on the price point given by the market and the market meaning that we are people willing to pay more or not and who else is selling similar stuff. And that's product centricness again the price that you can sell something for and the profit relative to your costs is a very good reality check on not whether the product's good but whether the product marketplace is going to reward you or not mm -hmm. to your point is there a space for a really premium price product sometimes yep. the answer is no and again that isn't where you've got a boring product or even an undifferentiated product you're just in a marketplace that won't allow you the sort of headroom for the price. And again, price is that kind of pivot point between supply and demand that tells you so much, doesn't it? The more you look into pricing, the more there is really. I started reading that book that you recommended, Priceless, um, whoever it's by, can't remember, but we'll put it in William the show notes. Poundstone, yeah. When's, that's the one. There's so much that goes into this. Look, as a summary, I'd definitely echo what you were saying. I think everyone, the more I talk with you about this, the more I think everyone should go and read Pricing Power by you, by Jason G. Miles definitely because there's so much in this and the more you pull back the layers of the onion the more we realize how critical this is but let's just summarize what we've been doing today what's your summary of principle number four for the listeners 
Yeah, you've got to have a business strategy that is aligned with your pricing strategy. And those are dominoes that have to be set up together and fall in the right direction. And they can really do damage if they're not aligned. And so your best path forward is to be very clear on your business strategy or goal for the short term. And then to create a pricing strategy that works to support it really robustly. And when you can do those things together, you'll have a powerful opportunity to make headway in the market in support of your product and in support of your business goals overall. So I would say that's a bit of a summary. Yep. Love it. Well, interesting as ever, man, to talk to you. Interesting doesn't really cover it. It's really fascinating. I love this Dutch auction idea. I'm going to have to go and educate myself about that. Mm. If you've enjoyed listening, folks, just a couple of things. First of all, you can find us on the call-in app on iPhones near you. I believe we've got over 100 subscribers now on that, whatever that means. There's <laughs> vanity metrics. But somebody's listening, so come join us there. And we are on, of course, all podcast episodes, podcast channels, I should say, out there, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify, the biggest ones. And on both of those channels now you can if you wish leave us a rating out of five stars so we'd love your highest and best rating and if you're on apple Podcasts, your highest and best review as well if you can give us that just want to say thanks man for bringing this whole topic up it's so fascinating and it's so central to making a profit i think this is a really important topic yeah great times see you buddy that was the e-commerce leader podcast with michael vesey in london england and Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.